Welcome to Creepypasta Theater, a show where we explore the strange world of creepypasta. Join us as we hear tales best left untold, travel roads best left unexplored, and see sights best left unseen. Today's story, The Truth About Turnip Town, written by Al Seeger. Every city has its secrets and legends. My hometown was no different. I used to live in a small town called West Greenfield. It was, and still is, a fairly unremarkable town, no different than any other small town in America. It has a Main Street district with a few specialty shops, a movie theater, the local grocery store, and a bowling alley. Outside of that, it is mostly private residences and farmland. Some people like it that way, I guess. As for me, I prefer a larger town, so after graduating high school, I went to college, got a good job, and moved to the next city over. Still, I remember hearing stories about Turnip Town when I was your age. So before you go to see if the legends are true, let me tell you the truth. First, Turnip Town is not really a town at all, more of an independent community. It is located along Old Highway 34 Road. Why do people call it Turnip Town? Well, according to my grandpappy, it comes from an old saying about falling off of a turnip truck. Supposedly, turnips used to be consumed mainly by the poor. So if you ate a lot of turnips, people would assume you were poor. And if you were poor, most people would assume that you were a simpleton. Falling off the turnip truck is simply an archaic way to imply that someone is gullible or naive. The people who live in the area now known as Turnip Town were assumed to be the same. Simpletons who lacked even basic common sense. I can tell you from first-hand experience, Turnip Town isn't really much to look at. It's just a collection of a dozen or so mobile homes and a few garden sheds. I'm not sure what most of the folks there did for work. Of course, there were rumors that most of the residents lived off of government welfare checks. According to Grandpappy, some of them did work on the local farms as he labored alongside them in his younger years. Being lazy bums would be one of the kinder rumors I've heard about them. There were also rumors they sold drugs and moonshine and that they were all inbred, their women only existed to make babies, and that they molested their daughters. I also know some ex-convicts have lived there over the years as well. Most likely, it was because they couldn't find work or housing elsewhere, so they figured a bunch of 
bumpkins who lived in a backwoods trailer park weren't particularly picky about who lived next door. I remember going there my junior year in high school. My friend Charlie and I decided to check it out on a dare. We heard all the rumors at school that I just told you. There were also tales of drunken men passed out on the porch with their shotguns resting across their lap. Another friend of mine thought he saw a young woman in a white dress running through the woods. He assumed it was the daughter of one of the locals trying to escape being molested by her daddy. One of my friends even claimed he saw two teenagers humping behind a shed. Perhaps one of the saddest and most disturbing reports I've heard is of dirty children playing in piles of garbage. We were dared to go to Turnip Town by a senior named Zach. He was one of the most popular kids in the school. He came from a wealthy family, as well as being the star player of the football and basketball teams. But he was no dumb jock. While he wasn't top of the class, he was still very smart. He was even a gifted saxophone player. Everyone wanted to be his friend, so if he dared you to do something, you did it. Either because you hoped to win his approval, or for no other reason than to save face. Few people at our high school found the strength to resist Zach's challenges. Honestly, I think he got his jollies knowing that people were willing to do just about anything for a chance at getting his approval. I don't know why he dared us to venture to that place. Neither of us was counted among the cool kids, but we weren't exactly dweebs. I doubt he really wanted to be our friend and was probably just taking advantage of his social status. He dared us to take a picture of Turnip Town, preferably with one of the residents in the photo. That's all. Just drive in, take a picture, leave. For reasons I still cannot phantom, Charlie and I accepted. We had a cover story. Our local theater was finally getting that hot new science fiction movie that everyone was talking about. A friend of mine saw it. He mentioned something about space wizards with laser beam swords. Honestly, I thought it sounded kind of corny and would likely be one of those movies that would be forgotten about within a couple of years. After letting our parents know where we would be going, we went to the local corner store, picked up a couple cans of sodas, and got some film for Charlie's camera. We double-checked the map, and we were on our way. Yes, a real map, made of paper. This was long before the days of smartphones and GPS apps. I'm not going to lie to you. I was nervous, but I kept telling myself things would be alright. We would just pull up, snap a couple of photos, and then get the hell out of there. It was only around 4 in the afternoon, so we had plenty of daylight left. Charlie and I engaged in small talk, but I could tell that he was just as nervous as I was. 
After the longest 20-minute drive I ever sat through, we reached the final leg of our journey. Old Highway 34 Road sat in front of us. I could tell just by looking at it that this was the kind of road that saw few travelers. The well-maintained asphalt street gave way to what was little more than an over-glorified gravel path with the occasional patch of concrete visible through the weeds. Evidence that Old Highway 34 Road was once better maintained. It was now a pale shadow of what it once was. Trees lined the sides of the road and formed an eerie arch over our pathway. Charlie remarked that it reminded him of a tunnel. I thought it resembled the mouth of some great beast just waiting to swallow us alive. We could have turned back, but Charlie gently pressed down on the gas pedal and slowly moved the car forward. Both of us thought the same thing. We wanted to get this over with and done. I readied the camera as Charlie carefully drove forward. There were numerous potholes that would probably have been no issue if we had a truck with four-wheel drive, but they could possibly cause problems for Charlie's 12-year-old car. The last thing we wanted to do was get a flat tire or bend an axle out here. Remember, this was before the days when everyone had a cell phone. If Charlie's car broke, it meant a long walk to the nearest payphone, a call to his parents, a call to the towing company, and there goes our cover story of seeing a movie about space wizards with laser swords. The drive felt like it took longer than the one to get there. Perhaps the reason was because of how slow Charlie had to drive. After about half a mile, Charlie slammed on the brakes and pointed to the side of the car. I nearly dropped the camera in surprise from the sudden stop. Look, over there! Charlie shouted. What is it? I replied. I scanned the forest in the direction he pointed. I don't see anything. I swear I saw something. Possibly a large animal. I replied... You're imagining things. It was probably just a deer. Both of us spent a few moments looking into the forest. After realizing there was nothing there, we continued on our way. Before long, we saw a clearing up ahead. I could start to make out one of the trailers. Even from this distance, I could tell it was run down. The siding was probably light blue at one time, but was now a dirty gray color. I readied the camera so I could snap the pictures as soon as possible. I knew Charlie wanted to get out of there. He grew more nervous as we got closer. And truth be told, I felt the same. As we drew nearer, more mobile homes came into view. The stories about piles of garbage proved to be true. I'm guessing there was no garbage pickup service out here, and most of the residents were probably too lazy to take their trash to the local dump. So far, there was no sign of people. So far, so good. The sky was growing darker, 
but I figured with the full moon high above, there would soon be enough light to get some halfway decent pictures. When we finally reached our destination, I positioned the camera in front of my face, took three shots, and then turned towards Charlie. I said, I got some pics, now let's get the hell out of here. He nodded and prepared to reverse his car. I knew things were going too smoothly. All of a sudden, three residents of Turnip Town came rushing out of the trailers. There were two middle-aged men with firearms and an old man with a cloth case strapped to his back. I assumed it was probably a rifle or a shotgun. Looking around in a panic, I noticed there were several faces glaring at us from the windows. Some were male, some were female, and some were children, but all looked angry. I could see several of the male figures disappear from view. No doubt they were going to get guns and run out to greet us as well. Charlie didn't need any encouragement. By now, he had just turned the car around and hit the gas. He didn't seem too concerned about the potholes. We'd just have to risk damaging his car and hope his parents wouldn't be too angry if anything happened. I could hear Charlie mumble and swear under his breath as we bounced up and down along the rough road. I turned around and, to my dread, I could see the headlights from pickup trucks. Faster, Charlie! They're coming for us! I yelled. Charlie continued to drive as fast as he could while making every effort to avoid as many potholes as possible. It was at that point I noticed something wasn't right. I looked at my watch and noticed the time. We should have been out of the forest by now. To my estimation, we had been driving just as long as we did to get to that damn hillbilly haven, but we were no closer to the main road. The mall-like tunnel of trees stretched endlessly before us. I looked back expecting the trucks to be almost caught up with us. But to my surprise, they were no closer to us than when I first noticed them. I thought I was going mad. I knew we couldn't be standing still because I could still feel the forward motion of the car and the trees on the side of the road still flew past us. But as I looked closer, I could see there was no variation to the scenery we passed. It looped over and over again, like the background of a chase scene in an old cartoon. But before I could point this out to Charlie, he slammed on the brakes. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see a dark shape fly out in front of the car. I couldn't quite make out what it was, but it was clearly not a person. Charlie desperately swerved to avoid hitting whatever it was. I felt myself lurch forward, then back, as I heard the sound of scraping metal and breaking glass. Soon, the car came to a complete stop. I looked over and saw my friend lying on the steering wheel. I was able to shift the car to park and patted Charlie on the shoulder. Charlie, you okay? I asked. No response. He was out cold, probably from hitting his head against the window. Fortunately, 
He was still breathing, and I could hear him groaning faintly. I got out of the car to survey the damage. The light on the driver's side was cracked, but still functional. There was a large dent above the wheel, and the paint was scraped to hell. By the look of things, after Charlie swerved to avoid hitting whatever it was that crossed the road, he grazed a tree, regained control of the car for a moment, then went off-road after hitting a pothole. Ah, great. The car was now stuck in the mud, half on and half off of the road. My heart sank as I realized I would not be able to push the car out. The wheel was buried too deeply. The strange thing was I didn't see the headlights from the pickup trucks. I wondered if the locals decided that since they scared us away, it wasn't worth pursuing us. There was no doubt about it. I was at the mercy of the residents of Turnip Town. My only option was to walk back to the trailer park and hope that one of the residents had a phone so I could call for a tow truck. I sighed and accepted the fact that at this point, my parents would never believe that we went to see a movie. I checked on Charlie and found he was still unconscious. I dug around the back seat of his car and found a pad of paper and a pencil. I was also able to find a flashlight and a pocket knife. Lucky me. After writing a note, I turned off the engine, took a deep breath, then started back towards the settlement. There was still some light in the sky, so at least I wouldn't be stumbling around in the dark quite yet. A few minutes after I began the walk towards the trailers, I heard something behind me. There in the trees was a pair of red eyes glaring at me. As the dark shape moved into the flashlight's beam, I felt a wave of fear come over me. Standing in front of me was a thing like no other creature I had ever seen. It was about the size of a large dog. Its body was bulky and covered with fine scales. The creature's face vaguely resembled a rhino, though instead of a horn just above its nose, it had two horns growing from the top of its head that curved backwards. The creature growled, revealing a mouth full of wicked sharp teeth. There was only one thing I could do. Run. I ran as fast as I could. I had no idea how fast the creature could move, but I figured if it was going to catch me, at least I wouldn't see it coming. As I ran, my thoughts turned to Charlie. Was he still out cold? Would he be safe in the car? What would he do if he woke up? I ran for what felt like hours until I could go no more. I hid behind a fallen tree in order to catch my breath. I didn't dare turn on the flashlight. I didn't want to attract attention to myself. The woods were quiet. Not even the comforting sound of crickets filled the air. There was still some light thanks to the moon. Carefully, I peered out from behind the tree and looked around. My eyes were starting to adjust to the low light conditions, so at least I wasn't completely blind. The creature was nowhere to be seen. 
I decided it was safe and crawled out from behind the tree. With a renewed sense of fear, I realized that I had become completely disoriented. I could see no visible landmarks and wasn't even sure which way it would take me back to the road. The moon was still visible, so at least I knew which way was east and which way was west. What a disaster, I thought to myself. I guessed which way was north and headed in that direction. So there I was, lost in the middle of the woods, scared out of my wits, and unsure if I would ever make it home. Perhaps the worst part of the ordeal was the deafening silence. Usually, when you are in the woods, you can expect to hear a choir of sounds. Birds, insects, the wind, and the sound of a myriad of forest creatures. But there was nothing. Not even the sound of wind rustling through the trees. All I could hear was my breath, my heart pounding, and the crunch of leaves under my feet. Then, out of nowhere, I heard the flapping of wings. I looked around, and as I panned Charlie's flashlight upward, I saw three winged creatures the size of owls, but these were no normal birds. They superficially resembled crows, but had bat wings. Their eyes, beaks, and claws had a metallic red luster to them. The bird shrieked a horrible call that sounded like metal scraping on metal. Then they dove straight towards me. Once again, I ran, keeping my hands over my eyes and face as the bird things pecked and clawed at me. It was a miracle I didn't stumble and break an ankle. I was beginning to think that dealing with a bunch of gun-wielding rednecks would have been a far kinder fate. One of them got a good hit on my forehead and I could feel the blood trickle down my face. Then, as suddenly as the attack began, it ended. I looked up and turned on the flashlight. The monstrous birds were gone. Once again, all was dark and silent. After wiping the blood from my face, I looked around, half expecting to see the devil himself. But there was nothing. I walked for a few minutes and saw a well-worn trail, possibly a hunting path the residents of Turniptown used. Having no other good options, I followed the trail. After a short walk, I came to a clearing that was well illuminated by the moon. I was shocked by what I saw there. Here in the middle of the woods of small town USA was a circle of standing stones, kind of like the ones pagans in ancient Europe would erect. There were clearly some sort of symbols etched into the stone surfaces, but I did not have the time to examine them closely. I nearly jumped ten feet into the air at what happened next. I heard a voice of a woman crying for help. As I approached the circle of stones, I saw a girl in a white dress tied to a flat stone. I ran up to investigate. Her wrists and ankles were bound by ropes that were attached to the stakes on the edges of the surface that she was resting on. 
The setup forced her body into an X shape. I noticed there were symbols carved into the rock. I would later find that these were Norse runes. In addition, there were a series of intricate knots carved along the edge of the girl's prison. Her eyes trembled with fear and sadness. Never before in my life had I seen a sadder sight, and my heart sank. She begged me to help her, and all I could do was do what I could. I dug out the knife and opened the blade. I started cutting the rope as quickly as I could. Sadly, I discovered the knife was one of those knockoff Swiss Army knives with a blade barely sharper than that of a butter knife. This was going to take a while. As I cut her free, color returned to the girl's face and a glint of hope appeared in her eyes. I asked what was going on. Hopefully, she could provide some answers. It's those people who live in the nearby trailer park, she replied. They are a group of cruel pagans who sacrifice a virgin to their dark gods at every full moon. I was to be their next victim. My heart raced. I remember one of my peers at school claiming that when he went to Turnip Town on a dare, he saw a girl dressed in white running through the forest. That was a couple of years ago. How long had these sacrifices been going on? Don't worry, I said to her, trying to sound confident. I'll get you out of here and get you to the police as soon as possible. After freeing the girl from her prison, I turned on the flashlight and led her out of the clearing. She followed along as best she could. She was definitely weak. No doubt from the ordeal she suffered at the hands of Turnip Town's evil residents. As soon as we got about 100 feet away from the circle of stones, she put her hand on my shoulder and bid me to stop. You have a cut on your head, she pointed out. Yeah, I replied. I was attacked by some strange bird-like creatures. There was also some reptilian creature prowling around. I don't know what we're going to do if we encounter them, but I promise I will do all I can to protect you. Let me take a look at that cut, she replied. I thought it was a little weird that she would ask that, but I could appreciate she was concerned. I tried to sound as macho as I could. It's just a scratch, nothing too serious. She placed her hand on my forehead and I instantly froze up. Her touch was like ice. The sound of flapping broke the still of the night, and I could see about a dozen of the bat-winged birds starting to gather in the trees. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see a familiar-looking set of red eyes. It was the creature I encountered by Charlie's car. And there was no longer just one. I could make out three more sets of eyes in the moonlight. The girl ran her thumb across my forehead. It burned, and I winced in pain as the blood again started to flow. She put her blood-covered thumb in her mouth and sucked greedily at the crimson fluid from her skin. The color of her flesh started to brighten, and she was no longer the pale husk she had been a few moments ago. 
She shoved me to the ground with a gentle push, demonstrating a level of strength one would not expect from a slender frame. I could only stare in absolute horror when I saw what happened next. Horns grew from her head and wings sprung from her back. She laughed maniacally as the creatures around her drew closer. The words she spoke next were burned into my mind. No matter how hard I've tried to forget them over the years, I can still remember those words to this day. I must thank you for freeing me, mortal, she cackled. I am Nama of the Lilium, daughter of Lilith. Many people shall suffer for your perceived act of heroism. I am still weak, and I need your life energy. But do not worry. As a reward for your service to me, I shall grant you the kindness of a pleasurable death. Then your corpse shall feed my pets. I felt pain in my hand as two of her horned beasts pinned me to the ground. She straddled my knees, reached down towards my waist, and undid my belt buckle. I realized what she was. She was a succubus. Her intentions were obvious. So here is where it ends, I thought. Screwed to death by a demon lady in the middle of the woods, and then having my body devoured by monsters. This is not the way I thought I would die. Then a loud crack rang through the woods. The beast on my left roared in pain. I felt the pressure ease off, and the one to my right sprang into action. The bird creatures in the trees let out their horrible screech and fluttered into action. Nama sprang to her feet and hissed in anger. Stay down, boy. This was a different voice. It was not the voice from the demon lady, but it was from an old man. I looked over towards the direction the voice came from. There were about half a dozen men with rifles and shotguns, each with a flashlight duct taped to the side. They fired at the birds and the beasts as they tried to defend their mistress. More shots rang out, and before long the ground was littered with the corpses of dead monstrosities. The men with the guns parted as the old man stepped forward. He calmly removed the cloth case slung across his back and reached inside. He drew from it a sword. I could see runes carved on the blade. They gleamed brightly as if they were on fire. Nama growled and extended her hand. A glowing red whip made of pure energy issued forth. I knew there was nothing I could do, so I crawled away and leaned up against a tree. The succubus charged forward, assailing the old man with a flurry of blows. The demon's whip tore through the air with an evil hiss, but the old man managed to successfully block every blow with his sword. As the energy whip came in contact with the blade, it let out a sizzling sound, similar to water hitting a hot surface. The old man fearlessly advanced upon Nama, and with one lightning-fast blow, removed the demon's head 
from her body. As her corpse collapsed, it melted into a puddle of dark purple sludge. Her head rolled up in front of me. I stared into her soulless eyes as it too melted away. The old man and the six men with him approached. I could see in the ambient light that each one wore a pendant of three interlocking triangles. The old man sheathed his sword and extended his hand towards me. You okay, son? He asked as he helped me up. His voice was very deep and authoritative, yet it had a calming quality to it as well. I'll be fine. Thank you. The men started walking away. The old man motioned me to follow him. I was still scared out of my wits, but what other choice did I have? The old man gave me a look of both pity and understanding. Then he spoke. I know you probably have a lot of questions about what happened here tonight. And based on what you saw, there is no point in hiding the truth from you. I know that you townsfolk like to look down on us. You see us as a bunch of backwards hillbillies. I'm not going to lie to you. We live a hard life out here. But none of us came to live in what you call Turnip Town by choice. All of us were down on our luck at one point. We were rejected from society. Some of us were criminals. Some of us were drug addicts. Some of us were just poor. Society deemed all of us to be little more than rubbish, to be cast out and forgotten. Then he pointed to the necklace he wore. But Odin gave us a new path to follow. In one way or another, he led us here and helped us overcome our troubles. As you now realize from your experience here, these woods are not what they seem. Many supernatural creatures lurk in this forest, though despite what you witnessed here tonight, not all of them are hostile. Still, there are many that could easily rip you to shreds. Our duty is to contain them so they do not harm the same society that rejected us. Our work isn't always pretty. Sometimes we have to do things you might consider distasteful, such as binding that demon woman you encountered in the forest. Sir, I hope you don't mind me asking, I interjected. But if you have that sword, why didn't you kill her earlier? The old man shrugged and then smiled. <laughs> Funny you should ask. I only came into possession of it a few hours ago, but that's a story for another time. When you and your friend came by, we were just on our way out for our nightly patrol. Killing Nama was on my list of things to do tonight. What about my friend? He's fine. A couple of our guys found him wandering down the road in a daze. He hit his head pretty badly. They told him he probably hit a deer and towed his car out of the mud. It still runs, so it should get you fellas home. We assured him that we would find you and bring you back safely. He's at my place recovering right now. Um, sir? I asked awkwardly. I'm, I'm really sorry about tonight. We shouldn't have come here. 
One of our classmates dared us to drive out and take some pictures. I know there are a lot of rumors flying around about you guys. I will do my best to dispute them every chance I get. He replied, Not necessary. We're used to it. Actually, we would prefer you not to tell anyone about what happened here tonight. Well, at least the supernatural parts anyway. My neighbors and I can deal with the occasional group of teenagers coming by to laugh at us. But the last thing we need is people coming by thinking they can hunt these creatures on their own. Takes a special kind of person to tell the good creatures from the bad ones. And don't think my boys were firing normal bullets at those beasts that almost made you a meal. I nodded in agreement. I could see the lights of Turnip Town up ahead. Charlie's car was in front of the old man's trailer. None the worse for wear, with the exception of where he hit the tree. The old man took me into his trailer, where I saw Charlie at a table, chatting with an old woman and sipping a cup of tea. There was a bandage on his head, but other than that, he looked fine. I will admit I was surprised by the interior of the old man's home. I was expecting it to be a dump, but it was actually clean and well-maintained. It looked no different than any other old person's home, with various knickknacks and pictures of what I assumed to be the old man's children and grandchildren. Charlie and I thanked the old man, and as we left, I could hear him call out to us, Y'all watch out for those deer. Charlie and I didn't talk too much about the night's events as we drove home. On the bright side, we were still within the time frame for our story about going to a movie to hold up. Still, Charlie was concerned about explaining to his parents how he hit a deer. I did get my pictures developed, and the photos I took in Turnip Town developed properly. But I decided to tell Charlie that they were too dark, and I ended up destroying them. For the rest of our time at school, whenever someone dared another student to go out to Turnip Town, both Charlie and I urged them not to go. Charlie would tell them about how he hit a deer and hurt his head, but the residents helped him tow his car and a nice old lady kept him company while he recovered. I would simply tell them that I got lost in the woods while looking for help and a group of men found me and escorted me to safety. I hoped our testimonies that the residents of Turnip Town were not inbred hicks and just normal people convinced at least some students not to go there. And that, my son, is the truth about Turnip Town. I haven't told anyone else the full story. Now that you know, and now that you have your driver's license and a car, I'm begging you not to go there. I don't care how much peer pressure you are under. Having seen what I saw, I no longer blame the residents of that town for their indifference towards outsiders. They bear a burden few of us can comprehend. And the last thing they need is for a bunch of punk-ass kids coming out there and causing trouble. Listen to these words and listen to them well. There are places on this earth where you don't belong. And Turnip Town 
is one of them. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at poigamestudio at gmail.com.